So good evening, everyone. I'd like to offer a warm welcome to all of you. And I've been kind of imagining what got you here. What is it about your life that uh, supports you in leaning towards a week like this or five days like this? What What is it? You know, what is it about life or your life or your practice that supports you in clearing the decks, arranging with the cat, you know, you know, negotiating with the partners or, you know, all those things we have to do to show up for a retreat like this, opening the heart and the divine abodes. I don't know about your life, but my life has been really full over the last few months. You know, I've had a couple of significant losses, two of my sisters, and uh, major transitions and renegotiations with relationships with people where love has shape shift (laughs) and you have to create some new deals. Um, Our political environment is pretty intense right now. And um, there's a lot of charge around it. Some of us have challenges with our children and with our own mind and being able to just kind of walk without a gripped heart. So whatever it was that you did, there was some, some spark, something deeper than the turbulences in your life that made a way for you to get yourself here. And I bow to you for that. This kind of clearing out, because you know there's something other than just the activity of mind and the craziness that we see in the world and all the ways we, you know, feel joy and it doesn't last forever and you know, crazy things happen and then we find that our heart cracks wide open because of that certain smile we get from someone or a gesture that we receive from someone that comes from a place that's um, unconditioned, not a deal, not, not a manipulation, but a pure gesture. And that's what these five days are about. That's what we're going to be doing here. We're all a part of a soup we need to taste. And when we practice with these, with the Brahma Viharas, we're actually, you know, how you, you put a spice in a pot and you let it simmer and then it bursts into uh, its own flavor, its own smell, its own sizzle. And it enhances our capacity 
to walk in the world with something other than a hope and a prayer, something deeper than, than that. My sense is that this is some of the reasons that you're here. This place of touching into tenderness, of developing the heart muscle, of creating an atmosphere of care and love that's uh, not just of our making, but something we can cultivate and discover, kind of tumble into a territory that is beyond what the mind can just make happen, but something we um, discover that's kind of like always been there. That's the quality of heart that's inherent in the Brahma Viharas. So just an overview of the Brahma Viharas, and then I'll speak specifically to the first one, which is metta. The Buddha describes the Brahma Viharas as divine mind states. They're divine mind states. They're often referred to as the divine abodes, like home dwellings, a mind state that we can actually dwell in, rest in, expand ourselves in. It's a wholesome quality of mind. It's the, it's the, it's the mind that's free from a lot of the hindrances, so to speak, or or it's an atmosphere that we can uh, uh, notice what arises and passes away with great grace and ease. So there are four expressions of love in these Brahma Viharas, and each are characteristic of freedom, states of freedom, mind states of freedom. There's metta, loving kindness, metta, the Pali word, Karuna, which is compassion. Mudita, sympathetic joy or appreciative joy. And there's upekka, equanimity, the sense of balance and one-pointedness. So these are heart practices. The Buddha taught from this boundless heart. It was generous and his teachings, I understand that after he became enlightened, he wasn't really planning on teaching until he was kind of encouraged to, to generously offer his teachings. And he did. He taught from a boundless heart. And he says that the willingness to train the heart is the highest devotion. The willingness to train the heart is the highest devotion. It's similar to... Um, Maharaji, an Indian guru on non-dualism, says that the mind creates the abyss and the heart crosses it. And in the Buddhist teachings, the heart and mind is the same word. So it's kind of like this, 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 this non-dually, it's, it's the same thing, heart and mind. So it's a practice, it's a practice of uh, touching into something that we deeply are and, and know. And because of our conditions, it's been kind of covered up with, 
with all kinds of um, other things. So the Brahma Vihara is, is a base of support in our practice. It's meant to be a support for, you know, uh, Vipassana or insight meditation. It's kind of the ground uh, of that in some ways. These practices stabilize us so that we can inquire into how the mind works. They create, again, a certain climate or atmosphere that supports inquiry. It's hard to investigate the mind when, 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 um, when there's a lot of static or, or uh, when the heart's not involved, basically. So it's a base of support and it's also a base of protection. These are protectors as we let go of a sense of our self as we know it and open ourselves to uh, a deeper understanding of the nature of things. As we drop away our habits and dissolve the construction and tightness of this thing called self, what we can drop away into is this atmosphere, this heartfulness, this, this, this space, this dwelling, this abode that the Brahma Viharas represent. And the Brahma Viharas are also concentration practices. They're practices that focus our attention, that point our attention to the object of a number of the phrases we'll be learning throughout these next five, five days. These phrases become anchors, just like the breath, and they steady the mind and give us a nice, um, uh, supportive uh, return, way of returning to the deeper heart places of ourselves. So they support us in gathering the mind, focusing the mind, and steadying the mind. These practices we'll be learning this week. And they support us in quenching or quieting the hindrances, the activity of mind that gets us snagged and knotted and preoccupied and takes us elsewhere. They support us in kind of minimizing that kind of static in the mind when we become acquainted with it. And what we're basically doing with these practices is we're, we're training the mind and the body to rest in the heart. To just kind of come home and rest in the heart. A heart that's boundless. A vast dwelling of well-being. So you might consider what we're going to be offering this week as a technology, maybe a new technology. It's kind of like the Brahma Viharas or it's like a software package that we're putting into the hardwiring of our conditioning. You know, and there's a learning curve involved. And the learning curve is practice. Practice practice. 
of returning to the heart, of resting in the heart, of aiming and sustaining our attention in the heart. And that's what, that's what we're doing this, in these five days. We're returning home to the heart space. So the first Brahma Vihara that's organized in this, um, these teachings is metta. And um, metta is a Pali word for what's commonly translated as loving kindness. And uh, it's, it's also referred to as an unconditional friendliness. I also heard it referred to as to grow fat with friendliness. But I don't know why I just have an aversion to that, you know, <laughs> to the way that's described. <laughs> okay, that's about me. All right. <laughs> but metta is about a genuine acceptance, an attitude of yes. It's a quality of heart that holds all things without qualification. You know, no one is left out. Nothing is left out. So it's a boundless love. Love can be kind of misinterpreted because sometimes we associate so many other things with that word, like romance. And You know, I was listening the other day to some of the music I grew up with and loved, you know, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, but when I stopped to listen to the lyrics, and it's like, this is the most neurotic thing I've ever heard in my life. I can't live without you. And, you know, just went on and on, and I used to dance to that music. I don't know if I was really listening to the words. But we get conditioned around the word love, but this is something a little deeper than that, deeper than our conditioning. So it's, I, I can say a little bit about what it's not. It's, it's not this ego kind of, kind of kindness or love. It's not based on possessions or getting something, having something, attachment and clinging. It's not about indulgence. You know, even if you touch into metta, you know, sometimes we, we want to hold on to it forever, you know. Uh, and it's not about this kind of romantic love where everything is, you know, you feel good. It's not so much about that. It's kind of a, a liberating kind of kindness that uh, a selfless love, a selfless kindness when we delight in one, our loved ones instead of trying to control them. Or we see the goodness in others, uh, even if there's some things in them we don't like. We can see the radiance of who they really are, and we can hang out with that space and not be locked into uh, or fixated on things that didn't go our way. I read something recently from 
someone named C.W. Huntington, and he says, love is not about getting what we want. Love is about how we live with what we are given. So it's kind of like this receptive kind of love. It's a love and a kindness that opens us to deeper freedom. You know you're in the territory of freedom when you're ungripped. You know, you can feel this in the body. There's an expanse that happens. And we want to become more acquainted with that territory. We're not accustomed to seeing it for what it is. Sometimes we fast forward through this part of our experience because we're so accustomed to um, whatever the next fixation is going to be. So metta is the antidote to the hindrance of ill will or aversion or dislike. It's kind of the uh, practice that supports us and not... uh, turning away, but more facing and being with what disturbs us. So it's an experience we can feel because there's usually a sense of release and opening that occurs inside the body. And it could be ever so subtle. But we want to know meta from the inside, from these direct experience ways. It's not a concept, it's an experience that, that happens inside the body. And this, uh, you know, just like we're touched by things in life, uh, we, we, we can also be touched by metta. We are, we, you know, it, it, it's something we feel, I guess is what I'm saying. In the Tibetan tradition, there's uh, reference to the soft spot. And I heard Pima Troden describe the soft spot as the soft spot is the weak link in the hard boundary of the ego structure. So there's, you know, I think about it as at the top of baby's head that are real tender. I mean, I still have my little soft spot up here. You know, that little spot... You know, the, the point of this is that there's no way we cannot be touched by life. There's a tender part of us that's in relationship to what life offers. We cannot be touched by what happens in this life. So this tenderness gets covered up. But when we practice, it becomes more accessible to us. And it's not just the spot in the top of the head. It's actually the skin that that lines the body. That's how immediate um, our relationship is with life and people we love and things that happen. We're all one big nervous system. And metta helps us um, relax and heal, you know. So when we practice metta, we become less tight and less fixated. 
and it's I think it can be described as as atmospheric it's kind of like an atmosphere what we're doing is we're adjusting the climate by setting the thermostat to warmth to welcome that's what the practice supports us in doing is adjusting the thermostat shifting our habits of self-harm and harming others. So infusing, what we're doing is we're infusing this atmosphere by radiating out metta in in our practice. We're infusing it with intentional goodwill. And we're embracing what arises in our mind in an atmosphere of non-resistance. So we're stopping the war in our body, mind, and heart through the, through the practice of metta. Supports ease and clear seeing. It's also a purification practice. This kind of repetitiveness of the um, phrases, which I'll talk about in a mo- in a moment. By creating ourselves, by by devoting ourselves to a practice of kindness, we're kind of creating the environment to burn up some of the karmic stuff that's been accumulated. You know. these seeds that were planted with, at some point around hate and ill will, some of them might bloom, but, but what we're doing with metta is we're kind of uh, putting some nutrients in the soil so that other things bloom next to it or crowd out some of the other past actions. It's a purification process because what we're doing is really caring often for what has hurt and harmed us in our own mind and in our relationships with life. Arthur Miller, who's a playwright, writes in the play, it's important to take, take, take one's life in one's arms Um, says, I dreamt I had a child, and even in the dream, I saw it was my life, and it was an idiot, and I ran away. But it always crept over my life again, clutched me, clutched at my clothes until I thought, if I could kiss it, whatever in it was my own, perhaps I could sleep. And I bent to its broken face, and it was horrible. But I kissed it. I think one must finally take one's life into one's arms. So consider in your life and your practice, what arises with frequency? I call them the frequent flyers. What arises with frequently that 
needs you to befriend it, needs you to kiss it so that you can sleep, so that you can rest. What must you take into your own arms and kiss? And that's what we want to think about, you know, this playwright is talking about a dream, but we're dreaming all the time in our minds. The, the activity of mind is, is like a dream. Things come up, you're not in control of it, it arises, it passes away, it does all these things. Can you kiss it? Can you kiss the part? Can you offer metta to the parts that are hard to face, hard to be with? So it's not uncommon in doing this practice of metta that you may have dreams and you may have memories that come up. You know, I saw myself once in an intensive metta practice um, sitting beside my mother uh, at her deathbed. This didn't really happen, but this was, was a dream that happened. My mother had eight kids and uh, most of my siblings gave her a rough time. Of course, I, you know, I didn't. Uh, but I, I was, in this dream, I was eager to, to say to my mother, you know, how upset I was that I really didn't get any of her attention or enough of her attention, that it was, you know, always these other siblings and, you know, what about me? And, you know, so I was all in and uh, about to have this conversation with my mother in the dream. And she leans over to me and she says, thank you for not being a burden. And that was her metta offering to me. I hadn't thought about it that way, you know. So sometimes we can be so locked on our story that we don't always have, you know, maybe a broader view. So in metta practice, one of the things we can discover fairly immediately is that uh, we can notice when the heart is open, when it's closed, when it's free or when it's gripped, when it's warm or cold. You know, as we turn our attention inward uh, and invite the activity of mind to be, to rest in an atmosphere of kindness. Uh, We can uh, notice a lot of things. It's very intimate and very vulnerable and tender and beautiful. And it's, it's beautiful to just see what's there. See through the eyes of kindness. So the practice is simple, but it's not always so easy. And there's many ways to practice metta. There's, there's, we're, we're, we're working a particular uh, form of met, um, Brahma-vihara practices here with the phrases, but there are other ways to practice. But with these phrases, they're simple, because there's four phrases that, that we typically say May I be safe, 
May I be happy. May I be healthy. And may I live with ease. Those are, are the phrases. So it's simple. But it's not easy because we don't always feel this way. So sometimes we can feel like, you know, this is, I'm just saying these words. <laughs> so these phrases, uh, you know, there's, there's four phases that we can go through in the practice that's useful to pay attention to. And one is just the verbal phrases, the, the words themselves. Uh, may I be safe? May I be happy? May I be healthy? May I live with ease? And then there's another phase that we get into, which is um, more of the mental, uh, we drop the words, and there's an understanding of seeing things as they are. I mean, we, we understand that Okay, so these phrases are really rooted in wisdom and a deep understanding of the nature of things, that life is not personal, it's not permanent, it's not perfect, the three characteristics. So we understand that then when we are saying the phrases, they're coming from a place of deeper, deeper understanding. Uh, yeah, may I be safe? I understand you know, that it's possible to, for me to be safe. It's not like the phrases are going to take the situation away that we might be in struggle with. They, they won't take away what we don't like or help us keep what we do like. It's not like that. We're not trying to change what arises. So the wisdom I'm referring to here with a mental understanding of the phrases, that, that we get that. We understand that, that there's suffering. We understand, you know, that it's like this right now. And then there's a feeling we can have with metta that's more like in the bone marrow. This kind of deep knowing. We've all touched a place in our lives or been in a situation in our lives, if only for a few seconds, where we've been touched by metta, a gesture, a smile, a glance, has really kind of helped us see that there's something vast here to know more about. We begin to remember viscerally the experience of being loved or cared for. It's not just an idea. We can really recall it and feel it again right here. And then there's a phrase, a phase where we can we can rest in in that in the metta itself. We can we can release into it. We can abide there. And this is this is when the metta becomes um, uh, a, an anchor that we can actually rest and relax into. But the phrases are not what's important. What's really important is your deep intention when you're offering them. So it's not the phrases. The phrases are just pointing to, you know, an experience. 
are pointing you to, to a deeper place. So in the practice, there's a few things to remember. And tomorrow you'll get, uh, we'll go through a, an actual guided in, instruction on metta. But tonight is really about just explaining what it is, what it's not, and some of the ways you can prepare for the practice. So a few suggestions on practice. It's useful in starting uh, metta practice is to start from a place of knowing kindness. Knowing kindness by recalling a moment of loving presence, of gratitude. You know? It doesn't have to be grand. And it's useful not to, if you think about a, a person, to not think about the whole person in your history with them. Just think about a moment. Because if you just think about the person, you know, sometimes the mind starts going into, yeah, there were this, but then they were all these other things too. So, yeah, this, that's not a good meta person. And then it's like, that's not a good meta person. And then that's not a good meta person. <laughs> So we want to just look at a moment, a precious moment, where your heart just cracked wide open. You know, for me sometimes when I think of seeing my granddaughter when she was first born, it was it was just right there, that little that that moment, uh, that preciousness. So we want to recall a moment where we actually felt touched like that. And we've all had them. It could be with a pet. It doesn't matter. So you want to invoke uh, a memory so, so that it's not some abstract thing. It's really something you've touched into, something you know directly. And you want to feel the goodness of your intention to be loving and kind. So what that looks like is for a moment you just sit with the goodness of you actually being on this retreat, for example, and, and that you, you've given yourself five days. And so you invite that intention to be right with you as you sit. I'm here to open my heart. I'm here to know more deeply what love is. You know, what's love got to do with it? You know, we're here to do to kind of tap into that space. You also want to take your time with these phrases because it's not the phrases. You want to feel all the space in between them. So really giving yourself some pause and feeling the vibration of the words as they move through your mind and heart. Feeling the words in the body being touched by that intention on the inside. So you want to take your time. And also when you're offering the phrases in the silence of your own mind and heart, you want to use, allow the whole body to offer the phrases, not just your mind. So the whole body becomes the offering of the metta phrases. May I be safe. May I be healthy. May I be free from danger. 
may I live with ease. Of course, these phrases are then offered to other people. You know, your benefactor, a difficult person, a neutral person, you know. But the whole body is involved in the offer. When you offer the phrases, whether it's metta or compassion or that we'll be going through this week, you're talking to your body and mind when you offer these phrases. You're talking to your body and your mind. So you want to listen to the offer and hear the offer. I've tried to improve on these phrases over the year, you know. And there's something to the simplicity that the Buddha, you know, offered around them. So so don't spend time trying to improve them. <laughs> you can, but and there's certainly some elaborations, but see if you can just keep it simple initially. Keep it simple because it's not about the words. And you don't want to put a lot of effort into getting it right. You're, you're really looking to open, open the heart. You might also notice as you're practicing metta um, how, the, how the edges of your experiences might begin to soften. There's a softening that you can begin to experience on the inside with this practice and it's subtle but you don't want to miss it you know so be open have your view when you're practicing wide enough to um, to see all the subtle ways that softening and opening is occurring and dissolving as well and you want to rest in awareness rest in the awareness with this practice of metta. And when our experiences are too difficult to look at or to bear, you find it just very hard to just do metta or you feel like you can't stay focused or you feel like your mind won't leave you alone or the body's aching too much, you can offer metta to yourself. May I be kind to myself in this moment of struggle. May I be at ease right there with your struggle. Bring metta to that. I read something that said, if we can't love ourselves, we can't love life. I think there's, it's a little black and white, but I kind of like it makes sense to me. And there's a contagion involved with metta. There's a radiance in the metta field that kind of is beyond you. It kind of radiates all out in all directions. And we start to um, see that the radiance is actually doing a lot of the work. Uh, And we're not having to effort so much. 
And I think the other thing that's so significant about metta is that in the field of metta, or in the practice, it begins to inform how you relate to the next thing. So the next thing that arises in your mind, if you're in, a, in, a, in, the, in the field of metta, it kind of influences how you see the next thing, how you relate to the next thing, how you respond to it. So it has that kind of contagion. I remember um, my partner and I were in uh, Italy and St. Mark's Square, and we had missed the boat that was going back to our hotel. So uh, we got a chance to backtrack and go to this cafe that was just setting up for some jazz. And I was hoping I could go with the boat, and then, you know, so we missed the boat. So we went back to this cafe. And um, there was, uh, uh, it was outdoors on the square. And there was this uh, Indian couple that passed by. I kind of recognized the sari that the, um, that the woman was wearing. It was associated with southern uh, India. I'd spent some time there, so I kind of recognized the pattern. Anyway, her and her um, partner that she was with uh, stopped at this table, and a guy was smoking these cigars. And... So um, the guy, the Indian guy, stopped and he smelled and he said, where is that? And there was a couple of white guys sitting next to my partner and I at this table, had these cigars. And so I said, what is that? And he said, well, they're cigars. And he says, I've been looking all over the square for cigars. And he says, oh, take one. And he says, oh, I can't. And he said, oh, but you must. And he said, no, I can't. And of course, everybody is saying, take the cigar already, you know. <laughs> so um, he takes the cigar, and it's all very gracious, lots of bows. Um, and uh, then he goes uh, over to get a table. And then he calls the waiter to go back over and offer them tea. And he brings the tea and... And they're all sitting up, and he's making sure the waiter's putting the napkin and the flowers in the same place. And the white guys are saying, oh, you shouldn't. And he said, oh, I had to. And he's like, no, you shouldn't. And I just had to. And everybody's saying, yeah, this is a good time. You know, we're all just glowing because this is such a genuine, beautiful gesture of perfect strangers from different places in the world. But they knew that language, right? And then the uh, Indian couple goes back to their table and it's kind of over in the corner and, and light the cigar and they're passing it back between each other. And um, they've got this big smile on their faces if they had gotten the best gift in the world. And we're all just glowing in this, you know, it must have been a four and a half minute exchange of pure metta. Everybody was affected by it. Everybody was touched by it. And I was so glad I missed the boat. Okay. So it's contagious that way. And it's also, you know, 
I heard another Dharma teacher refer to it as composting. The practice of metta is like composting. It may not look like you're doing much at first, but deep inside the heap of your practice, good things are happening. And in time, there's rich soil that can nurture other parts of your garden, the garden of your mind, the garden of love, seeding kindness. So metta is kind of like the foundational piece in the Brahma-Vihara teachings. It's um, a beautiful practice that supports a beautiful heart and mind and an atmosphere of kindness that deeply informs the immediate and the next things that happen. So let's sit together for a couple of minutes. I dreamed I had a child, and even in the dream, I saw it was my life. And it was an idiot, and I ran away. But it always crept over my lap again, clutched at my clothes, until I thought, if I could kiss it, Whatever in it was my own, perhaps I could sleep. And I bent to its broken face, and it was horrible. But I kissed it. May all veins be healthy, safe, happy. May all beings, without exception, live with ease.
Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.